0: You were there to help me out. You just saw the need and said, can I help you? We learn a lot from watching other horses and watching other riders. I'm Julie Goodnight, and thanks for listening to my podcast about horse training and equestrian sports. It's time for Ride On with Julie Goodnight. Since the last time we recorded... To tell you the truth, quite a lot has changed around my barn. You know, I started traveling to public events a couple of months ago. I've been hitting the road pretty hard. And on one of my trips a few weeks ago, Dooley, my number one horse, the king of our barn, laid down in his favorite napping spot under the shade of the big old pine tree and died at about 10 o'clock in the morning just as my son was finishing up the morning chores. You know, he was getting pretty old and was pretty crippled up with arthritis, so I knew he was deteriorating and we had been doing as much as we could to keep him comfortable, but his time was up. And as Mark Twain said, one of my favorite quotes from Mark Twain, he has a lot of great horse quotes, but one of my favorites was he said, it has been my experience that your best horse will just go lay down and die. And that quote's always stuck with me. And, you know, we've, we've kind of had a morbid chuckle through the years about how it um, seems like it's always the good horses that, that die young. But um, I always attributed that Mark Twain comment to the fragile nature of horses but I have to say, I've had two really great horses. My first, um, the first one, Pepsi, and now Dooley, who did exactly that. They just went and laid down peacefully right in front of us, and and died of a, a, a quiet, peaceful death at a time that was most convenient to us. And it was uh, in both instances really. Um, it seemed like more than coincidence, but, um, that's, that's the truth. Um, it did not surprise me that Dooley died while I was out of town that weekend. Uh, in fact, I had already talked to Mel about scheduling the vet and I had even said my goodbyes to him before I left on my road trip. Um, four old Dooley tended to get sick and puny when i was out of town he he you know everybody that worked for me uh dreaded it when i went out of town because they always was afraid he would he would get sick because he did it so often when i was out of town and and so rarely when i was in town again i don't know if that's coincidence or not but um it, that's what happened this time i was out of town and he laid down and took his last breath so i'm gonna miss that a Im- amazing horse a lot he was a beautiful horse i would never grow tired of looking at him that horse was talented he was driven ambitious uh, but he was also very brave and and very kind he he wasn't a hundred percent forgiving of my mistakes but almost um But he always gave it his best, and he was happy to work hard um, in return for the love and praise and pampering that he received. He made us work for it, um, but uh, he was a really, really good horse. I'm going to miss him, but uh, meanwhile, I've been riding my beautiful little mare, Annie. Uh, She's my current number one horse, my current only horse, actually, and um, she's everything I need in a horse right now. I've been riding her as much as possible t- between my road trips. Plus, as you'll hear about later in this podcast, I've also been riding my neighbor's horse lately for reasons you'll soon hear about. Um, I've got two more road trips this year, this spring, before I pause my business travel for the summer. Shortly, I'm headed to Madison, Wisconsin for the Midwest Horse Fair. I'm super excited for that. This is an event I was uh, scheduled to do in 2020. So this will be the first time this event has run in two years. So that's going to be exciting. Right after that, I head up to Granby, Colorado for the Women's Riding and Wholeness Retreat that I co-teach with Barbara Schulte. This fall, I have three more clinics at the renowned Sea Lazy U Ranch and last I checked, they all still had openings, so you might want to check it out. That's a, um, a rarity these days. Um, first in September, I have the Ranch Riding Adventure, um, and also I do that a second time in October. Always a big demand for that program. That's a four-day active riding program for adults. Also in October is my five-day horsemanship immersion program. This is the ideal program for people that want a learning vacation. You will study all aspects of horses and riding horses and training horses and taking care of horses. We have seminars, hands-on workshops, plus trail riding in the Rocky Mountains, daily lessons from me, luxurious accommodations, and gourmet meals. I'm also leading two riding trips to Ireland this fall with Connemara Equestrian Tours. This will be the second time for me for going back to Ireland. Super excited for that. At last count, both tours were booked solid, but it never hurts to get on the waiting list. You can find out more about these programs and all of my clinics, horse expos, and riding vacations by visiting juliegoodnight.com. Slash events. And while you're there, check out my online training resources, curriculums, and personalized coaching programs. Plus, we've got some innovative grooming tools, tack bits, training equipment, and videos at shop.juliegoodnight.com. Today's topic is finding the holes in your horse's training, or how to evaluate your horse's training to see where he's at today. Maybe you have a horse that you're just getting to know for the first time, a new horse for you, or perhaps you're working with a horse that has no available training history, or maybe you're quote unquote, going back to basics with a training project and you need to know where to begin or you're simply developing a new training plan for your horse. No matter the reason, evaluation is the place to start. In this episode of my podcast, I'll talk about how to find the holes in your horse's training, determine what problems need solving, what new skills need to be taught, what experiences your horses need to gain, and how long it might take to achieve your training goals. I'll share some of the actual evaluation tools I've developed for my online coaching program. These tools help me understand where the horse is currently in its training and where we need to go from here. Plus, in the popular What the Hey segment at the end of this show, I'll answer questions from listeners about how to deal with a horse that paws, about a new horse gone rogue, and finally, about reestablishing leadership with a very dominant horse. So let's get started. I promised I'd tell you the story of my neighbor's horse, Jimmy. This horse was purchased online, oh, I want to say four or five months ago. He was purchased sight unseen from a reputable dealer at a premium price. The horse was represented as being gentle and a reliable riding horse for ranch or trail although the horse was only six years old. During the honeymoon period, the horse performed admirably well, but soon after, his behavior began to deteriorate drastically, and within a few months, this horse was actually becoming somewhat unmanageable. Because this horse belongs to my friend and neighbor, I was able to occasionally observe their interactions and kind of see uh, what was going on. And I had a pretty good idea of how things went wrong for this horse. Throughout my career, I've heard hundreds of stories from horse owners that went just like this. I bought a really nice horse. He was well-trained. I went and rode him at the place. Everything went fine. I brought him home. He was pretty good at first, but after about a month, Things started unraveling. It's a common story. In fact, you're going to hear a, a very similar question in our What the Hay segment. So it's interesting having to help my neighbor through this subject that is so prevalent uh, across the horse industry uh, especially today when there's a larger demand for horses than there are good, reliable, trained horses. Prices are really high. Sales are off the chart. A lot of people are buying horses sight unseen in many instances. It's the only way you can get a horse that you want, a particular horse or a particular type of horse. So it, it's happening more and more. Um, but it's not necessarily related to buying a horse sight unseen, because this is an example of a horse who had a certain level of training, although it wasn't a high level of training, but there were several convergence of problems, one being that the horse was only six years old, so he wasn't that experienced, and he wasn't that set in his ways, and he was used to being handled by very experienced horse people. And um, the other way that was that he just he wasn't managed and handled properly. And when the rules that this horse thought he knew that caused him to act a certain way, let's say have safe and polite ground manners, suddenly this horse thought the rules didn't apply anymore and his behavior um, devolved and became unraveled in short order and things just got worse and worse. Part of the challenge when presented with a horse that is behaving poorly is to understand how we got to where we are now with the horse. Is it the horse? Is it the person? Is it a combination? Is it the circumstance? Then we need to winnow out the basic training issues that must be addressed with the horse, while at the same time discerning how much the horse actually knows what kind of training he's had in the past. Sometimes we have a little bit of information, sometimes we have no information whatsoever. So this has been my mission lately with my friend's new horse. It's a topic that's fresh on my mind and it follows nicely with my recent podcast, on evaluating a horse's temperament. You're going to hear some questions from listeners about that subject as well in the Q&A segment. But first, let's talk about some general considerations when you're evaluating the training level of a given horse today with little or no information on the horse other than its age and breed and a general idea of um, what it's done in the past. First of all, it's important for you to distinguish between training and seasoning and temperament. And these involve the age-old questions of nature versus nurture. How much of it is instinctive behavior? How much of it is learned behavior? How much of it is learned experience um, of routine and um, traveling and going to strange places and getting in the habit of performing in unusual and unknown circumstances. That's what we call seasoning. So all of these things come into play. And let's get back to Jimmy, our six-year-old gelding. Uh, we don't know a lot about his previous training in history. We know about what he was represented as, which is just kind of a, a gentle ranch broke gelding That was safe to go on trail rides with novice riders. Now, that doesn't mean the horse is well-trained and has years of training and has learned uh, high-level maneuvers and skills or competition-level skills um, or any kind of classical training. That just means the horse is broke. He's, He's used to being saddled and ridden. He's used to following other horses in a natural environment, maybe the ranch he grew up on. Um, that he's lived on all his life. So that speaks to the horse's training, what what he knows and doesn't know that he's been actively taught by a rider versus seasoning. And seasoning refers to the life experience of a horse. Seasoning is all the times you've loaded him in the trailer and taken him someplace, maybe to trail rides, maybe to horse shows, maybe to clinics, maybe to a parade. Maybe you just took him down the road to the vet or down the road to ride in a different arena or go to the county fairgrounds. Every time that horse takes a trip into an unknown environment and has to function and perform the previous skills that he was taught through training, the more circumstances and the more experiences he has having to perform under duress, if you will, the more seasoning the horse has. So you could have a highly trained horse that had never left the farm, never been to a horse show, never performed in a new arena, never been to town, so to speak. And no matter how highly you got him trained at home, he's still going to fall apart the first time you take him off the farm. So as early on as possible in that horse's development, We want to start giving him life experiences that will teach him that he also has to perform these same skills in other environments, even when he is outside his comfort zone. So that's seasoning versus what a horse's natural temperament is. This is an elusive area. That's what I did my podcast on recently, trying to evaluate your horse's temperament. A horse's temperament is what he's born with. It's certainly influenced by training and life experience, but certain things are inherent in a horse's temperament, like how sensitive he is, how reactive he is, how much fear the horse has versus how much curiosity, how much dominance versus how much subordinates. All of these things, is he lazy? Is he forward? Um, all of these things have to do with his temperament. And while training certainly affects temperament, it does not change the underlying temperament of the horse. So these are all factors that we have to consider when evaluating temperament. Also, let's talk about, you know, what's a green horse and what's a finished horse? Now, there's all kinds of jokes across the internet about, you know, what a green horse means. And the the bottom line is it means something different to everyone who's saying it and everyone who's hearing it. But the truth of the matter is that a horse that's of a young age, five or six years old, he didn't start training until he was two, maybe three or four years old. By nature, he's somewhat of a green horse because he just probably hasn't had enough training and enough life experiences to be uh, operating at a finished level. So a finished horse is one that's fully trained to any given discipline, who's mature and responsive 100% of the time in any environment you place the horse in. So the finished horse, quote unquote, no longer really needs schooling or practice or training he just needs maintenance of his training. He needs to be kept in condition. He needs to be taken care of, and he needs to have occasional refreshers uh, or practice time of his uh, higher level skills. So, a green horse, you know, you'll you'll know what you're buying when you're buying a finished horse. That's a horse that's ready to go into the show ring and compete. And if we should all be so lucky as to ride finished horses. You will learn a lot on finished horses, but the truth is most horses aren't there, number one. Number two, it's hard to find these horses, finished horses that are for sale. And when you find them, they're very, very, very expensive. So for many of us, some level of a less experienced horse is going to be what we have access to. So what my definition of green is and what your definition of green is, It's gonna be all over the charts. So a lot of times we default to how old the horse is and just actually how much riding he's had. But I think it's really important for us to distinguish between a broke horse and a trained horse. Now, broke is a term that is falling out of favor, but it's actually a term of endearment for a horse. You know, broke horse is one that you have no qualms about being around. That you can throw a tarp across its back. That you can crawl underneath it. That it'll stand still. That it'll always be safe and always do what you ask it to do, and all of that. Never reactive. Never spooky. However, um, I think when we talk about so so being broke means. Uh, Really, in his most fundamental terms, that the horse has been started under saddle to the point where he is completely desensitized to the saddle. He's been educated how to respond to bit pressure, how to pack the weight of a rider, how to respond to cues from the rider. And he's been taught certain rules of behavior for the saddle horse. And um, he knows how to go and stop and turn right, turn left. So training is everything that comes after that. And while we can get a horse started under saddle really fast, like all in one day, oftentimes, and uh, certainly in the matter of a week, training takes months and years to complete. It takes an average of 24 months of full-time professional training to prepare a horse for the show ring. So starting a horse under saddle, all the desensitizing required of that, and then getting that horse some experience following another horse down a path is not the same as training. Training occurs after that, and training is intentional, and it takes months to train a horse, it takes years to train a horse to the finish level, um, and months to get get the horse really to a medium level of training. Also, and as I just alluded to, you might have a horse that has had a lot of training or has a lot of experience and a lot of riding out on the trail and out on the ranch, but he knows nothing about arena riding. So that horse would not have cues for the walk to canter, would not know its leads, would not understand collection may not understand much about lateral movements. So there could be big gaps in that horse's finish training or that horse's uh, arena training, even though the horse could be mature, like middle-aged, and very experienced out on the trail. Another consideration I want to think about in terms of evaluating the horse's training level is one I've also already alluded to, And that is whether or not that horse works independently. You know, horses naturally, they're herd animals. They're always drawn to the herd. They always want to be as close as possible to the other horses. And they're always willing to follow the other horses. So if you have a horse that I suspect may be part of what Jimmy's uh, issues are, that has had a lot of riding, but it's always been in the company of other horses and he just sort of followed along with what the other horses did, then you might not be able to do anything with that horse when you get him separated from the other horses. If he's lacking any kind of arena training or finish training and he's only ever been ridden in the company of other horses, it might be impossible to do anything by yourself with that horse uh, because he's that green. So that's definitely an area we want to look at is how willing is that horse to leave the pack of horses or the herd of horses and how well does he work on his own uh, with no other horses in sight. Now, let's talk about what is an obedient riding horse exactly? What do we mean by that? Fundamentally, an obedient riding horse is a horse that goes the direction and speed Dictated by the rider, without any argument, and without micromanagement from the rider. In other words, it's a horse that does what you want. Also, when we talk about an obedient riding horse, we often use the term, the horse is obedient to the aids. What does that mean? A horse that's obedient to the aids just means that it has known cues that it responds to reliably, from the seat legs and hands of the rider from the voice of the rider and it knows those cues to mean to do something so the horse that is obedient to the aids is easy to make go forward um, to move laterally or backwards to um, soften to your aids yield to your aids um, yield to pressure so that's a horse that's obedient to the aids one that you can control and shape in such a manner that you can put him anywhere you want do anything you want with him i want to touch briefly on a couple of areas of problems problems that we run into in evaluating a horse's training where we have to decide how much of this is actually related to the rider and how much is related to the horse because maybe the horse is actually a very well-trained horse that's just being mishandled, mismanaged, misridden, um, or maybe it's a horse that's learned the wrong things. So first of all, let me talk about codependence. This is basically a term that I co-opted to describe a certain um, set of behaviors that exist between a horse owner and the horse. So codependence basically means when I do this, you do that. And when I think about a codependent relationship between a riding horse and the rider, what I'm thinking about mostly is the horse that's constantly threatening to be disobedient and the rider is therefore constantly correcting the horse from being disobedient. In other words, the horse is constantly threatening and the rider is constantly fixing. That is not an obedient horse to begin with. A horse that's threatening disobedience is a disobedient horse. And when the rider goes along with it, instead of addressing it as disobedience, the horse tends to get worse and worse and worse. This may have been part of what happened with Jimmy um, and the devolving of his training. So let me give you a couple of really common examples. Let's say you have a horse you're riding in the arena And every time you get to the far end of the arena, he gets spooky and he speeds up or he comes off the rail and cuts the corners. But when you're down near the barn end of the arena or the gate end of the arena, he stays on the rail and he slows down. So a horse that, let's say, is cutting corners every time you go around the arena and you are constantly steering him back, towards the corner of the arena, because he's making the circle smaller and smaller, that's a horse that's threatening disobedience. He's not going the way you want him to go. He knows full well where you intended to go. And you're not addressing it as disobedience, rather you're just steering him back to the rail as if nothing was happening. When you act as if nothing is happening and just, just keep riding the horse to try to get him back to where you think he should be, the horse reads that as you're unaware of his disobedience. So he pushes it a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more until he finds the point at which you become aware of it. By the time you do become aware of it, things may have already gotten really bad with that horse. Now, the other kind of problem area that we deal with, or trying to evaluate how much training a horse has and whether or not that's simply been polluted by mishandling or misriding. Another thing that we often talk about is the spoiled horse. And by spoiled, quote unquote, we mean a lot like a a spoiled child. A spoiled horse is a horse that's actually learned really bad behavior. In other words, he has acted in, in ways that are unsafe or unpleasant And he's gotten inadvertently rewarded for him like a, you know, like a three-year-old throwing a tantrum in a grocery store because he didn't get a candy bar. Um, A horse can learn that if he acts in a certain way, he gets what he wants. He gets put away or or, you know, the owner becomes reactive or afraid of him and stops asking him to do that. Or he just refuses to do something that's a little bit hard. And uh, the owner caves in. In the example of Jimmy, he had learned. He has learned some um, very bad things. Um, some of which we will have difficulty unlearning. Well, there's really no such thing as unlearning. Um, once a horse learns certain tricks that he thinks allow him to get away with something he'll forever know those tricks exist and could get him what he wanted. In the case of Jimmy, he learned um, when people were trying to lunge him or circle him that when he got tired of doing it, all he had to do was basically rip the rope out of your hands and run away and uh, worked every time he got away from um, various people um, like a dozen different times so in that way, he perfected his technique. And as I started working with him, one of the, one of the first things I had to address, well, uh, his ground manners were atrocious by the time I started working with the horse. So obviously, that's where I was going to start. And I knew the uh, ripping and running was going to be a problem. So I, I, I waited till I had done some more foundational groundwork with him And then we tackled that little problem. I didn't let him get away from me, and I dissuaded him from acting that way with me. The problem is he'll forever know that, and he'll know that with a certain type of person, when they do a certain type of thing, he can pull that trick out. And so a a spoiled horse can be a horse that's learned to act um, in an, in an unpleasant way or an unsafe way, in order to get what he wants. And he's learned that because he's been mishandled and he's been allowed, he's been inadvertently rewarded for acting in that way. So these are things that can really affect a well trained horse. You could have a very, very well trained horse, but if you start riding him, or mishandling him or riding him in a way that he um, gets away with breaking known rules of behavior that he had been previously taught. Um, These are uh, problems that relate to the rider more actually than the horse. So we now have a situation where we have to fix the horse and we have to fix the rider or the human that's involved. Now, I'd like to share with you some actual evaluation tools that I use in my interactive online coaching programs. Now, these are tools that I've developed after decades of teaching and coaching riders. Also, with the online coaching program, our relationship, although I get to look at photographs and videos on occasion... If I'm going to help you through an online coaching program, I, ne- I need to know as much as possible about the horse, his history, his training, his temperament, about the rider or the horse owner's training and temperament and all of that as well. So these evaluation tools that I'm going to share with you are part of my online coaching program. And just keep in mind that I use the same type of evaluation tools to determine a rider's, skill level. But for this podcast, I'm just talking about the horses training or lack thereof. So first of all, in some of my initial intake into my online coaching program, I have a series of questions that I ask um, for open-ended answers, and people um, have to type in their answers. And it's really interesting to me. It I've designed these questions to make the holes in a horse's training stand out or to make problems between a horse owner and their horse um, stand out. And so here, here they are. I'll give you what the question is. There's a, see, uh, five of them. And then I'll talk about why I asked this. First of all, does your horse stand quietly while tied? Now, I hope that the answer to that question is yes, he ties great no matter where I take him. When I have to tie him up, I know he's going to stand there quietly and relaxed without any stress and without moving. That's the right answer. However, this has to be taught to a horse. There are very few horses out there that just automatically will patiently except being tied. Look, they're flight animals and their instinct is to be able to put their head up and run away at any moment. So they do not like the confinement of being tied in any way. They have to learn patience. That's why we call it the patience post. And the only way they learn it is by being tied up in various locations over time. um, As we Uh, work horses and train horses, they come to learn that actually standing here tied is great because it means I'm not being ridden and exercised. And standing tied here is great because this is where I get groomed and this is where I get all that nice pampering. So if a horse does not stand tied quietly, I know there's probably some gaps in its fundamental training Either there's something going on between the owner and the horse or the horse has never really had much training. Second question, does your horse ever challenge your authority? Now, I would love it if most of the answers to that question were, no, my horse never challenges my authority. He does everything I want all the time. But that's really the answer. And certainly for someone who is enrolled in an online coaching program, I have a lot of people that are, are actually very uh, well-schooled riders with well-schooled horses who enjoy the online coaching just, just to get better at what they're doing or they're learning some uh, higher performance skills. However, Uh, Most people are going to say, my horse occasionally challenges my authority. And then I want to know, you know, what does that look like? Um, How often is it happening? Is it happening on the ground? Is it happening when you're riding? Um, And I want to start sort of getting to the bottom of how much authority does this person actually have over the horse? Are we dealing with a lack of leadership in the human, a lack of confidence in the human, uh, or are we dealing with a horse that is untrained and or difficult to manage? Third question when we're talking about evaluating a horse's training level is this. Do you ever have trouble controlling direction or speed? Now, most people, again, don't put, um, no, I never do. They're going to put something like, well, only when he's spooking, or sometimes I have trouble getting him to stay in a trot, or he pulls at the other gate, or I can't get him to go off by himself, or something like that. So those, that's what I'm looking for there. Um, are there times when you actually feel like you don't have control over the horse, or do you feel like this horse is always obedient and and going in the direction and speed that you asked for. Fourth question, how often does your horse spook or shy? Now notice that I didn't say does your horse spook because all horses spook. It's just a matter of how often and what level of stimuli does it take to get the horse to spook. If You have a horse that's spooking a lot. It could be an indication of a larger problem with the horse. It is often an indication that the human part of the equation is lacking leadership, lacking confidence, lacking structure and authority. Jimmy's a perfect case in point, my neighbor's horse. When i worked him for the first day, I wasn't 20 feet outside of the barn before I was schooling him on his ground manners, on his leading manners. And there were three really significant things right away. One was he would just throw his head up in the air and look in any direction he wanted to. The other would be he would just charge in front of me. And the other would be he would crowd me with his shoulder uh, whenever he got nervous. And then I I was able to correct that pretty quickly. Then he started spooking at stuff. And when he would spook, he would move towards me. And I don't tolerate that at all. So once I laid down the law with him in terms of my expectations about how he acted when I was leading him, which, by the way, turned out to be all stuff he knew perfectly well, but had not been enforced in a while. Um. Then when he, the first time he spooked at something, which was a legitimate spook, it was a a tarp blowing in the wind, caught on the fence, and I made him stop, I made him put his head down, I didn't let him look away, and then when he relaxed, I made him approach the tarp until he finally touched it, and after that, he never spooked again, So what happened was as this horse was becoming more confident in my leadership, becoming more confident that the rules of his behavior were going to be enforced and that his emotionality was not going to be tolerated and that certainly it was not going to be tolerated for him to move into me, he suddenly was no longer afraid of anything. So I've seen this a lot where horses that are nervous and spooky are really horses that maybe by nature, by temperament, they have a, uh, are a little bit high on the fearful side, but they have been allowed to express that behavior way too much, and they have not been taught or required to control their own emotions, just like we have to learn uh, as humans to do as we grow up. So how often does your horse spook or shy? Again, that's uh, kind of a red flag thing. If, 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 if it's coming up that the horse is spooking a lot and all the time, and that's the main thing you wanna fix, I know that chances are good there's some underlying problems. And the final general question I ask in reference to um, evaluating the training of a horse is asking you, as the owner of this horse or as the rider of this horse, because we're talking about under saddle training here, is what is it that you would like to change about this horse? I imagine sometimes people have to think about the answer to that question. And there's usually something. Sometimes what you would like to change about your horse has more to do with you, like because oftentimes people will answer, I want my horse to trust me more. I want my horse to think of me more as the leader. Um, I want my horse to um, move off my leg without me having to kick and spank him. Um, In other words, I want my horse to accept my authority. So by asking people what they would like to change about the horse, it's just a little insider information on how you think about your horse, and uh, it's often helpful to me in uh, in helping you. So, another area that I do as an assignment in my interactive program is to actually and literally quantify the training the horse has had. Now you have to put a little sleuthing power into it, and you have to put pencil to paper and do a little bit of math. But this is one of the most revealing evaluation tools I use in my online coaching program. If you're one of my students that has blown off answering this assignment, you've gotten dinged in your grade for it, (laughs) and a little scolding from me, too, because If you do this assignment correctly, it is very illuminating to me. I can almost exactly pinpoint where your horse is in its training. So it goes like this. I want you to add up every single day the horse has been ridden throughout its entire life, estimating to the best of your knowledge for the stages of his life that you're unsure of. In other words, you're going to gather as much history as you can on the horse, piece together what you've done with the horse, what you know of in its history, how old it is, how many years it's been ridden, how many years it was idle, what kind of riding was done. If you don't know the answer, you're not just going to take the lazy way out and say, I don't know. You're going to estimate to the best of your knowledge that for each year of this horse's life, he was probably ridden this many times. When you take the time to do this exercise, it's extremely revealing in terms of the horse's practical training level. You know, just like a human might need over 10,000 hours of dedicated practice to master a sport, a horse needs so many rides or actual days of training for it to become trained guess what? If it's if it's 10,000 hours of dedicated practice to master a sport for humans, and I believe that to be true. I know from the few sports that I've mastered that that's about right. Um, if it's 10,000 hours for a horse, I'm going to tell you it's at least a thousand days to achieve a high level of training for a horse. And that's without having any training setbacks. And you know that setbacks are going to occur. So you would be surprised how often when people go to the time to complete this exercise, they might, for instance, have a 12-year-old horse that seems like it ought to be pretty well-trained by now. But when you actually go back and add it up, it's only got five or 600 days of riding on it. So we know it's going to be, yeah, it's got some great life experience. It's been to trail rides, it's been to this and that. Um, but it's probably lacking in other areas of training. And the final evaluation tool that I use in my interactive online coaching program is to actually give your horse a score based on 100% um, to score his training under saddle. This is a fun test I've developed so that you can self-evaluate your horse and see how it compares on a scale of zero to 100% in regards to the horse's training under saddle. So you're going to objectively and realistically rate your horse from one to 10 on each of the following statements, with 10 being excellent, ideal, perfect, and one being poor or non existent skills then you're going to add all 10 categories for a total score based on 100 possible points. So here we go. Number one, how easy is your horse to ride on a scale of one to 10? Number two, how smooth gated, sure-footed, and what kind of steady speed does your horse maintain on a scale of one to 10? So the rest of these are also in a scale of 1 to 10. And the third one is horse is always in control and rarely spooks. Horse stands quietly for mounting. Horse stops promptly with light aids. Horse moves forward promptly with light aids. Horse can canter figure eights with simple or flying lead changes on a scale of 1 to 10. Horse can perform basic lateral movements like haunches in, leg yielding, and side passing. Horse's experience performing in any location or situation and always acts exactly the same way. And finally, Horse trailer loads well and stands quietly while tied. Guess what? If your horse scored in the 90s after you tallied all 10 of those categories, you are riding a Cadillac horse. If your horse scores in the 80s, you've got a great ride. If your horse scored in the 70s, he's an average kind of horse, a decent riding horse. But below 70, you've probably got some training work to do. You know, there's no need for you to write this down because I'll share this quiz and other information in my monthly blog that's coming up. So if you're not already getting my newsletter, please subscribe at juliegoodnight.com news. You'll not only get my blog and podcast releases, but also information about upcoming events and specials. So no need to scrabble down all those notes frantically um, so you can test your horse's training level. Uh, Just check out my blog, go to juliegoodnight.com and sign up for the blog and I will give you that test uh, in riding and you can do that with your horse in just a few weeks. I also have a few articles on my website that are really helpful that I use as resources for some of these training assignments to evaluate your horse's training. One is an article called Nurturing the Try," and another is Adversarial Relationships with Horses. You can find these in my archived blogs. Again, uh, just go to juliegoodnight.com blog. And now, it's time for my favorite segment, What the Hay Q&A. Each month, we pick a few unique questions from our listeners and answer them on the air. If you'd like to submit a written question for What the Hay, please go to my Facebook page at Julie Goodnight Horsemanship or email podcast at juliegoodnight.com. By the way, we keep all your questions in a queue dropping off only the ones I've already answered or that we've used as a topic on our show. So even if I've not answered the question you submitted yet, I hope to get to it soon, or maybe I'll turn your question into the main topic for a future podcast, which I've been known to do. So stay tuned. First question is from Tracy via Facebook Messenger. Hi there. I'm just wondering if you have any advice on how to train a horse to stop pawing. My horse paws when tied up and also when she is loose sometimes. For example, when she wants more oats, she will paw at the gate. Tracy, that's a great question and one I've had probably literally thousands of times during my career because... Horses paw a lot. Uh, Pawing is actually a gesture, and it means that I am impatient, I do not want to be here, I wish I was moving, um, or I wish you would come over here and pay some attention to me. So it is a gesture of impatience and frustration. So we most often see horses pawing when they're tied up and or when they're eating grain. Now, sounds like your horse is sort of doing all of the above, and I think it's interesting that you said that your horse paws when she wants more oats, and that tells me that she's sort of being demanding if, if she's already gotten her oats and now she wants more. So a lot of times horses will paw uh, in when they're being impatient about being fed. They paw when they're being impatient about being tied up. Remember I talked earlier about does your horse stand quietly tied? Uh, Because a horse has to learn that skill. Uh, Horses aren't naturally born with the patience to tie them up and make them stand. So there's actually been some research on why horses that paw when they're eating grain, when they're not tied up, and they're in a big pen, and there's no reason for them to be doing that. And uh, Dr. Catherine Haupt from Cornell University researched that. She's a renowned animal behaviorist. And Dr. Haupt determined that in in nature, a horse would be walking literally um, miles and miles and miles, scores of miles in order to gain that much nutrition. So horses that paw when they're being fed grain, uh, by the way, they tend to only do it when being fed grain, not when they're being fed hay. And that her determination was that they are frustrated because they feel like they ought to be moving while they're taking in that much concentrated nutrition. So, the horse that is pawing while he's eating grain is simply expressing a frustration of how much nutrition he's taking in without doing much movement or work for it. Oftentimes, that will become a different kind of behavior where instead of the horse actually slapping the ground with her foot, she just holds the foot up, front foot up high, and kind of wiggles it back and forth. And that's just an aberration of the behavior that she's learned to do because her foot probably got sore from slapping it on the ground too much. So that's uh, nothing to worry about. You can uh, feed your horse in less quantities of grain. If the horse really needs grain, you could make the grain harder for the horse to eat. There's some little um, devices that dribble out the, the grain to your horse. You can just put some big stones in your horse's Grain pans, so she has to move the stones around and work at getting her grain. But when the horse is pawing when tied, it's a whole different thing. They rarely are pawing while you're paying attention to them. But as soon as you walk away, they start pawing in frustration, and then it becomes a little bit demanding. Like I demand you come back here and pay attention to me. I demand you come back here and untie me and take me back to my friends. Um, the horse can actually get quite worked up and and quite angry and frustrated, unless he's learned that that doesn't get him anything. Now uh, there's no quick fix. If your horse has never been taught to stand patiently tied, there's no quick fix for that. If your horse has been taught to stand patiently while tied, that's because someone previous in his history spent the time it took to do that. And that means just spending hours at a time tied up in a safe and comfortable environment until he learns that sometimes you just have to do that. And that's what I call kindergarten for horses. And we, we don't tie them up for hours and hours on end. We tie them up for increasing amounts of time, um, supervised, making sure that they are only untied and removed from that area when they are acting in a patient and calm manner. And that takes weeks and months to teach a horse. So there's no quick fix for that. And if, on the other hand, your horse has just started pawing as a, as a means to make you come pay attention to him, then that might be something you have to address in your own behavior. When a horse is pawing because you walked away from him, as soon as you come back with him, even if it's to scold him for pawing... He gets what he wants. So you just have to ignore him and make sure you only come back and pay attention to him when he is not pawing. So make sure the horse doesn't control your actions with his pawing. And again, a pawing is a gesture of impatience and frustration. So we need to think about why the horse has experienced those emotions and what do we have to do to either give him better skills or alleviate those stressors. Second question is from Tammy. This is via Facebook. Hi, Julie. I have a new-to-me horse. He's not young, but his ground manners when I haul him anywhere are atrocious. My problem is he starts calling out, looking for other horses, but he's been doing it while I'm mounted. Then he gets really pissy and will not pay attention to me. How should I handle this while mounted? Well, let's start with the fact, Tammy, that you said his ground manners are atrocious. So I would always start there. A horse that's losing his stuff on the ground. So if his ground manners are presumably good when you're at home, and then when you get in a new environment, he falls apart. This is exactly what I was talking about earlier in terms of training versus seasoning. So when we look at the stages of training in a horse, actually in any animals, including humans, um, the first stage is called acquisition. That's where you learn a new skill, like minding your ground manners when you're in a new place. But first you have to learn ground manners. Then you have to learn that you have to do them anywhere and everywhere, even when you don't feel like it and even when you're under a lot of stress. So that first uh, stage, getting him to do it at home, is the acquisition stage. But he's not fluent until he can perform it every time you ask him, including in strange environments or when the horse is under a little bit of pressure. In other words, if my horse stands quietly for me when I've asked him to stand, just you know, handling him in hand with a halter and lead rope, but I've only ever asked him that at home in front of all the other horses where he's absolutely under no stress whatsoever. That's not really learning much of a skill because he'd probably be standing there voluntarily anyway. So I've got to be able to do that skill in places where he maybe wouldn't want to stand still, quiet, and relaxed. And then the third stage of learning is um, generalization and that's where the horse can perform that skill in any environment and this is what your horse has not learned and so the same things that's happening on the ground where he loses his ground manners is happening under saddle he starts looking around calling out getting pissy if you try to make him do anything How should I handle this in the moment? I would immediately go to one rein. I would laterally flex that horse and circle him to the right. Then I would release him. I would laterally flex him and circle him to the left. I would keep him moving in that regard, keep him moving forward, but keep him going right to left to right to left. I would uh, probably throw a few disengagement of the hindquarters in there. I would try to put him to work as soon as possible, issuing cues that he knows and understands and requiring his obedience and asking him to do one thing, then another thing, then another thing, not hard things, simple things that he knows how to respond to. So he gets back into an obedient frame of mind. But look, Tammy, this is a horse that is lacking certain areas of training. And that probably has more to do with the seasoning and getting him out in front of into new environments And making sure he understands that he has to abide by the same rules of behavior no matter where he is. Our third and final question today comes from Karen via Facebook Messenger. Hi, I'm listening to your podcast episode about different temperaments, and I now know the type of horse I have. He's alpha, hot, and smart. And I didn't establish confident leadership with him very well. I've had him for three years. Is it too late to reverse this? I feel like I've ruined him. And Karen, first of all, it is not too late. It is never too late. I've said it once. I've said it a hundred times, maybe a thousand times. When you change you, the horse will come with you. All you've got to do is change you. Horses, even alpha ones, are looking for leadership. Uh, but you have to be able to give the horse the kind of leadership that he needs. Now, I when I saw this question, I was already prepared to do this podcast. I was already working with my friend and neighbor's horse, Jimmy, it is the exact same situation. Only she she has not had him for three years. She's not quite had him for six months, but he has uh, devolved a lot because he is a horse that requires strong leadership. He requires structure, rules of behavior. He wants to tend towards the emotional side, so he's a horse that needs. Um, A lot of tools, a lot of structure, a lot of routine, a lot of strong leadership around him. And then he becomes a totally different horse. Now, what's probably going to need to happen is you're going to need help from a more confident person that can remind your horse and school your horse the way he's supposed to act and then either that person or another person, maybe a maybe the first person's a trainer, and maybe the second person's an instructor, that will teach you how to carry on with what they have um, the remedial training they've done with this horse. Chances are good your horse has devolved in its training, but and and so that training will need to be refreshed, reminded, uh, brought back up to snuff. But the other thing that's working against you is that you and your horse have a known and established relationship, and he is fully aware of it. So he believes he knows you very well, and he does. So even though you might have the ability with good coaching and direction to provide this horse with the leadership he needs he already thinks you're not going to. So a person uh, a third party unknown to the horse just like I did with Jimmy when I stepped in and in within 30 seconds of handling him I was like going whoa 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 no way no way Jose we are not going to do it that way. I think you know how to act and if you don't you're fixing to learn it right now. We do not act that way. And he turned around and looked at me like, whoa, who is this chick? Because he didn't have that known relationship with me. So the first time I rained down on him and said, no, we are not going to do it that way. You are not going to act that way around me. He immediately questioned his own behavior instead of questioning mine. So when you have a long-term established codependent relationship with a horse or a an unsatisfactory relationship with the horse, in terms of you're lacking leadership, you're lacking authority. Uh, the horse has become um, uh, the horse has devolved in his training, uh, be actually become ill mannered um, and even adversarial. Um, that's when you're going to need another person to step in, help uh, fix the horse. And it's ideal if, like uh, with, with my neighbor and Jimmy, she's been able to watch me work with the horse almost every single time I've worked with him. So she, And I've shared with her why he's acting this way and, or why I think his behavior is inappropriate, why I think he's doing it. And she's been able to figure out the mistakes that she has made in the last five or six months on this horse that made him think he could act that way. So is it too late to reverse this? Absolutely not. But you're going to get have to get some help uh, from someone who can manage and train this horse, remind him of what he knows, and you're going to also have to step up your game, get some personal coaching and instruction yourself. So good luck to you. That's all the questions we have time for today. We still have a few excellent questions in the lineup that I couldn't get to this time, but I'll keep plugging away in my What The Hague segment each month. I love sharing my horse care and training experience with you, and I really appreciate all your feedback, suggestions, and questions. It's been great to see a lot of my listeners in person at the Horse Expos I've been going to. I love it when you share with me how you listen, when you listen, the, what really resonated with you. That helps me out a lot. So we appreciate all of your feedback, suggestions, and questions. I'd love to hear what topics interest you the most. So if you have questions for what the hay or podcast topics you'd like me to address, please message me on Facebook at Goodnight or email podcast at juliegoodnight.com. And here are a few tips. If you want your question answered on the air, I would greatly appreciate it if you keep your question concise, use proper punctuation so I can read it properly out loud, and please proofread it before hitting send. This helps us out a lot. Next month on my podcast, we'll cover another horsemanship topic to expand your knowledge and help make your horse life better. Remember to hit subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. And please, invite your equestrian friends to join us. You can find this podcast on every platform. And don't forget to check out my online membership programs. You'll find the solutions you need when you need them. You can subscribe to my full training library with hundreds of videos, audios, and articles, all of its searchable content. Or you can enroll in a horsemanship short course on building confidence. Or join at the premier level, the Interactive Academy, where you receive a 12-month training curriculum for you and your horse, plus personalized coaching from me. Just go to juliegoodnight.com join and start your ride. No matter where you are in your horsemanship journey, whether you're new to horses or an old hand, whether you're training a green horse or refining your upper level skills, I hope you found some helpful information here to make your horse life better. Thanks again for your awesome comments and for the five-star ratings. It helps me out a lot And it helps us rise in the rankings so more horse lovers, just like you and me, can find this podcast. I'm Julie Goodnight. Thank you for listening, and please stay safe and enjoy the ride.